Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. I'm currently hosting a podcast giveaway. To enter, simply leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and upload a screenshot to my Google Doc. Share this giveaway with a friend, and if your friend's name is drawn, you both win a $100 gift card. The link to enter, including to the Google Doc, is in the show notes or in the bio of my Instagram profile. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. So happy you could join for today's interview. If you are new around here, I'm Megan Skidmore, and I am a life coach and a mama of an LGBTQ plus child, as well as raised in a conservative faith, the LDS faith. And I created this podcast to help uh, contribute to faith discussions, to normalizing faith journeys and how unique and different and beautiful they all are for all of us. And specifically to talk about how questions and doubts are going to come up for us and that it doesn't need to be a scary or awkward or something to be avoided. So with that, um, I am so happy to have Monica Phillips here with me today. Monica, I believe you and I met few years ago through North Star first and then other subsequent parent support groups. Yes. Thank you, Megan, for having me here today. I'm excited to join you. Yeah, absolutely. So I won't give away too much, but uh, Monica is also a, a fellow parent of LGBTQ plus kiddos in her case. And, um, I invited her on to, to talk with us about her faith journey and how being an LGBTQ plus mama has uh, influenced that and some news that their family got most recently last month. And we'll get to that in a minute. But for now, Monica, I'm going to turn the mic over to you to share with us uh, your origin story, your background, you know, where you're from, your family, where you grew up, your profession, your spouse, kids, all of the things that you feel um, comfortable sharing. Okay, great. Well, I guess I'll just start maybe um, in the beginning of my um, where I, when I met my husband. My husband uh, James and I have been married for thirty years, and we met uh, in the central coast of California, where we went to college. We went. We both went to Cal Poly University. And at the time, I was investigating the church. I had grown up Catholic, and I was raised uh, in a part member blended family. And I attended both churches really for most of my childhood, and so. I got a really good dose of, of both um, Catholicism as well as um, the typical LDS traditions. And um, when I was in college, I was baptized and I took the missionary lessons at the Institute of Religion that was near the campus. And that is where I met James. And a couple of years later, we uh, were married in the Los Angeles temple and we went on to have five children and we raised them in the Orange California stake in mm-hmm. Orange County, California. 
Now, fast forward a little bit. When my second child was 18, at the end of his freshman year in college, he came to me and he explained uh, to me that he was experiencing gender dysphoria. I had no idea what gender dysphoria was at that time in my life, Um, but he explained it to me. And um, at the time, he had just gotten his mission call and he was called to serve a mission in the Madagascar um, mission and um, on, on some French speaking islands off the coast of Madagascar. And I was a little, uh, we were a little concerned about how he was going to go about doing this. And I think maybe now is a good time, Megan, to clarify that my, I, w- I will speak about my son. Um, I will use he, him pronouns, but he was born, uh, he was assigned female at birth. So I just want to, in case your listeners are confused, um, yes, Landon was assigned female at birth and um, about five years ago ha- uh, transitioned. And so throughout this um, conversation, I will always refer to right. Landon uh, with his, um, what is now his legal name and gender markers. Um, so uh, he decided that he wanted to continue on with this mis- mission. So we did uh, support that. And during that time, it was kind of the time that, you know, we had 18 months now to kind of mull over what he just shared with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the church didn't have anything on it. Uh, at the time, it was the Mormon gay website. They had nothing on trans the transgender topic. Lennon wasn't out to other people, so we couldn't share mm-hmm. that with anybody or talk. But I didn't know anybody either that was experiencing this. Um, so my husband kind of jokingly says that his mission was the time that we stuck our head, heads in the sand and just pretended that it wasn't actually happening. I don't view it that way. I really feel like it was a time when it, we were just kind of in a, a holding pattern, just kind of a wait and see what happens. But I'd be lying if I, if I said I wasn't, you know, doing my best to kind of pray that away and mm-hmm. in hopes that um, this was just something that um, we never doubted that Landon was having a very real experience. Um, we were just hoping that that was something that would be passing and, you know, but I just, I just didn't have an education on it at all. And so he continued through his mission. And when he came home uh, immediately after he was, he came home just a a short bit early, just a a transfer too early because of some other mental health challenges. And so he went to um, LDS family services and he did speak to them about his gender dysphoria and we were lucky that we we got one of two at the time LGBTQ specialists in family services, and um, but she admittedly she was wonderful, but she admittedly really didn't know anything about gender dysphoria, and so we were kind of educating her more than she was able to kind of help us in that area. But she did recommend us um, to the North Star Conference, and it was it was coming up really soon. So we quickly purchased tickets and just landed, and I hopped in the car and drove up to Utah to attend the North Star um, Conference. And I'll talk about that maybe in a little bit, but that was a really pivotal uh, experience for the two of us. Um, Can you um, give us an approximate time frame? Is this about this, five years ago? Yeah, this years was ago? In, so the North Star Conference was, I think our first one was in 2018. Okay. In, in um, the springtime, it used to be held in March. So it was March of 2018. Got it. Thank and, you. um, and at that time too, like Landon had, um, like leaving the church wasn't an option in his brain. He just needed to figure out how he was going to navigate this. And so we went to that North star conference and 
you know, it was really pivotal, pivotal for me. I can't really speak for Landon, but here I was like sitting shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of LGBTQ individuals who were striving to live the gospel and who wanted to be with us in our congregations. But I was hearing their stories of how they didn't feel like they belonged and how they were treated and so forth. And it was just heart wrenching. And, um, I just began to wonder, you know, I, I felt it, I felt a, a real strong rebuke, um, at the end of that conference, wondered like what I had possibly done in the past, maybe unknowingly to contribute to the pain that these individuals were feeling and how I might've added to their burden. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that was, that was a, a time that I, I really began to rethink what I had previously thought about certain things. <laughs> Um, and after the conference, Landon, so at the time he was only out to my husband and I and his sister who he shared a room with and was very close with. And after the conference, he told me, uh, mom, I just feel like I, I can't live in secret in my own home. I need to come out to my other siblings. And of course I said, absolutely. So, uh, he had an older brother that was at BYU, Idaho at the time. And then, then his sister at home and two younger brothers at home. And so we had a family night and Landon shared with them what he was experiencing and his little brothers were just so loving and accepting. I was actually quite floored by the immediate um, understanding and acceptance. And then later that evening, my daughter and Landon, they kind of lingered after my boys went off to bed and they just, I could tell they wanted to talk about something more. And I got a little bit nervous. <laughs> But my daughter came to me <laughs> and my husband, and she, with the support of Landon, she told us that she experienced same-sex attraction, that she was gay. And she, at the time, she was 17 years old. And so this was the beginning of our journeys together, um, like together and yet separate, because we each had our own faith journey that was starting at that moment. And yet we, you know, not doing it together was, was not an option for us uh, as a family. And so that was kind of the beginning of it. And yeah. it's been five years since, um, since Lana came out to all the siblings a little bit more than five years. And then just recently fast forward, we'll talk about some of the other stuff I'm sure in between, but fast forward just last month in June, um, we found out that Landon, who's been a transitioned transgender individual actually has XY chromosomes, which is male genetic mm -hmm. male chromosomes. Yes. So he actually has a intersex condition. Um, he was born with female body parts and um, XY chromosomes. And then, then there is a, um, a mutation on the AR gene, which um, basically means, so the AR gene is the androgen receptors. And so mm -hmm. the testosterone that Landon had in his body uh, was not processed by those receptors. I, and I'm not, a, I don't know genetics and I, I'm, I'm speaking very um, lay term terms. I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm not speaking of this scientifically, but basically those receptors did not process the testosterone and it did not signal to the body to um, begin forming his male body parts. And so his body continued yeah. to form as a female, but he has um, XY chromosomes. So that right. kind of sent us on a new little, like I had to do a lot of reprocessing of some feelings and things that I thought, you know, again, like, I feel like it's a continual life is just a continual 
reprocessing and rethinking of things that we thought we knew before as we learn new information. So that's been really interesting. So do you mind if I pause you there for a minute? Yeah, there's so much that you've shared and I know I can't dive into all of it. Um, But first of all, thank you for sharing this with um, me and with all of those listening. Our stories are so personal and tender and precious to us. And so I don't take it lightly when folks share, especially in such a kind of a public way. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, you said something um, about that night that you had a family home evening, which for those that are not of the LDS faith of their faith of origin, that's basically a night of the week that a family sets aside to spend time to not just have quality time together, but have a song, a prayer, um, a spiritual message, and and then maybe play some games and, and share a treat. And so you said that you use that as an opportunity for Landon to share with his siblings uh, yeah. about his identity. And you said, I was floored by the immediate understanding of his siblings I, that just sent chills through me as I heard you say that. I would love to know a little bit more about that. Like, sure. why was it, why were you floored? And when you say immediate, like, what does that look like? Sound like, I mean, it sounds like an absolutely precious, beautiful moment, but I'd love to know a little bit more. Sure. It really was. Um, it really was a beautiful mom moment to see how your kids react to things. Um, I guess I anticipated them to have a lot more questions and maybe be a little more confused or like, what is going on? What, you know, maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't what I, what I saw. And um, one thing that I did ask Lennon to do, I said, okay, you're in charge of family night tonight. Why don't you start with teaching what we believe about gender and then share your experience. And again, at the time, and this probably wouldn't be how it would be for a lot of people sharing, but at the time Landon was, um, you know, hundred percent believed what the family proclamation um, teaches us that gender Mm -hmm. is eternal and that it's essential. And that was not something we ever doubted. nor do I still, you know, I, I, I believe that to be true. And so he shared those things and then he shared his, about his dysphoria and explained what that was. And I think my, ten, I had a 10 year old at the time and my 10 year old just looked at him and said, Oh, I have a friend in my class that feels like a girl. And, and I just, <laughs> I think my jaw probably dropped. Cause I'm like, he's never shared that with me. And I love the fact that he was not judgmental to that individual in his class. He never came home and told me how weird this friend is because he feels like a girl sometimes or anything like that. It was just a matter of fact, like, yeah, I know about that. My friend experiences that. And they talked about it. They might've asked Mm -hmm. a few questions, but at the end, they just all got up and they just hugged each other. And then they just went about their evening, like as if it was no big deal. And then at the time my, my son had not, changed his name or pronouns, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't too long after that, that he did ask us to use different pronouns. And my kids changed the pronouns. I don't 
think I really ever heard them misgender Landon after they changed pronouns. I was the one with my old brain that just couldn't make that switch as easily, I think, as the younger, as the younger brains. But I was the one that struggled with it, not because I didn't want to support Landon, but because, but because my brain had a hard time, you know, I, I birthed a daughter, I raised for 20, for 18 years, um, a daughter. And so just, you know, making that switch, as you can imagine, is yeah. a little bit harder for us. But Landon was so patient with me. And he just said, mom, I know you're trying and I know you support me and you could take 10 years to get it right. I'll give you 10 years. I said, please, if it takes, if it takes me 10 years, can you just put me out of my misery? I'm going to try to get that done sooner than 10 years. So he's just, you know, that's been such a wonderful blessing is that Landon, um, as well as my daughter, Anya, um, have been so patient with me. They allow me to ask my difficult questions. I even shared with Landon, um, during that time, I said, you know, my way of processing is to talk it out. And I'm, I'm going to need to talk it out with you. I'm going to need to ask questions. I'm probably going to ask questions that might be unintentionally hurtful or sound really stupid and ignorant, but I need, I need you to be patient with me while I process this. And that's the way I process it. So could you help me out there? And he, both of them have always been so willing to just, you know, I'm sure I saw a few eyes roll occasionally at my question. But I literally, during some of those times, I could be mid-sentence asking my question or responding to how they answered a question and have the spirit teach me what I needed to learn, like (laughs) mid-sentence. I remember just being like, oh, yep, done. That's answered. I don't need that anymore. So I just appreciate that. And not every parent gets that, um, that type of relationship with their child where they can really talk it out with their child. And then a lot of things I... I don't process with them. I process with other parents because they don't need that burden on, on them. But I think you bring up some, some extremely important points that healthy communication is essential to this journey. Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, We're having our journey as a parent while they're having their journey as the, you know, the star of their own life journey show, we could call it. Right. And so it's really wise to, acknowledge there are things that you don't, that we as parents don't need to burden our kiddos with, that we get our own support, whatever that might look like. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you a little bit more in depth about the kid, your kiddos and their responses, it, it occurred to me as you were sharing, you know, I know of parents who are worried that their young kids when quote unquote exposed to somebody of the LGBTQ plus community, we could say that it's going to influence them or um, give them ideas that maybe the parent is not comfortable with, right? right? And I love, granted they're siblings and there was an established relationship, but I love that the immediate response of your younger kiddos was, acceptance and love and non a non-judgmental response um it was like not a big deal to me that is that is the epitome of christ-like love and acceptance and i think that in some ways we're well not in some ways i think it's a disservice when we don't give our children 
more benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. That their response was one of complete <clears throat> love. That's it. It wasn't influencing them in any way other than giving them a little bit more insight and information about their older. I don't know anybody to date uh, that has become transgender by knowing my son um, and by being around them. Um, Nor do I know very many. um, I don't know any transgender people that have become cisgender (laughs) because they're around so many cisgender people. Uh, Same same with same-sex attraction. You know, it's just, um, it doesn't, I don't think it really works that way. Um, Right. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate that very much. Thank you for, for going a little bit deeper with that. Now, it's almost like you've had, not you've had, but your journey has included about three or four coming outs between your two kids and between the initial identity of your own kiddo, Mm -hmm. your, I mean, your oldest kiddo, and then clarifying um, that identity with um, transgender, right? It's almost two unique journeys that you experience. And then now a month ago, you have new information introduced to you about the DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, you, well, you even said, right? You, you said you had to kind of reprocess, it, it started a new a new period of, of processing for you. Yeah. And, and I'd say a very shortened period, <laughs> but I have some gotten anger. good at it. So <laughs> yeah, I had some, um, I had some anger well up in me, um, which I had it was different kind of anger and I don't, I'm not an angry kind of person. So that one always gets me when I feel anger. I just, I'm so, I feel so un, I'm not at ease at all because that's not my, no, that's not my nature to feel angry, but I did feel just some anger. And um, I don't know. I just had to process how I thought about Landon and we all kind of did. Uh, I know one of Landon's brothers, they were on a phone call and I was in the car, we were driving the car. And Lena's brother said, you know, Lena, I, I think I need to apologize to you because I'm, I'm kind of seeing you a little differently now, but I shouldn't be like, I accepted you as my brother before, but I, I'm viewing you a little differently. And Landon, Landon said, it's okay. Cause I'm viewing myself a little bit differently. And then I kind of chimed in, like, I'd be lying if I didn't also have a little shift in how even though we did not need that information to validate Landon's um, experience Mm -hmm. uh, as a transgender male. Like I didn't, we didn't need to have like, Oh, you know, (laughs) he's trans. Now it's okay. Now it's okay. Now now we we believe him. Right. Right. And one thing I, I really love is that, you know, part of me is like, I wish, I wish I would have known this earlier. We could have avoided a lot of heartache and a lot of, a lot of the feelings and things that I had to process through that, um, we might be talking about here today. Um, you know, well, I, if you don't, if you don't mind, let's, yeah. If, if you're comfortable yeah, with I, it, I will definitely yeah, you. Okay, I'll go, go into my faith journey. Let me just finish this one thought is that I, I, w- I kind of thought, I wish we would have known this earlier because I could have avoided all this stuff that I went through. Landon could have avoided. That's who I was most concerned about. Landon could have avoided like so much heartache and pain. If we just knew he was actually intersex, you know, but then I got thinking about it and I just thought, you know, if I would have known, I never would have gone through this process of learning and growing and stretching myself. And I don't ever want to go back to what I knew before. Like, I'm so glad we went 
on this journey and our relationship has been strengthened and so much has happened that is good that never would have happened. So I, I kind of quickly, I talked to Lennon about that. I said, I, and I've always said this before, even before we knew he was intersex, like I would, I would take the pain away from you in a heartbeat, but I don't think I'd take the process away from myself because I love who I have become. And Landon said the same thing. He said, yeah, like we went through some hard work to get where we are and to like really do a lot of soul, deep soul searching and deep, really a lot of deep thinking and pondering. And I don't know that we would have done that hard work had we known, you know? So we don't, we have no regrets. Like, I just think the Lord's timing is the Lord's timing. And, you know, five years later, we have this new information and maybe there's something other people can learn from it. So for sure. So, yeah, I'm confident that what you're sharing is, is blessing the lives of those who are listening. Oh, I'm thank sure. you. Thank you. Well, um, you just mentioned a lot of anger came up. I think you touched on some of it and, but if there's any more you wanted to add. Yeah. There's two things I want to kind of like to talk about um, before I go into this, though. I think I should probably maybe give a little disclaimer okay. <laughs> that what I'm going to share is my own personal story. And I in no way am telling anybody, any of your listeners that it's the way that they should navigate their personal journey. Absolutely. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I'll say some things that um, people will take away and use, and maybe I'll say some things that just don't resonate. And I, I just want your listeners to know that that's okay. Take what works for you um, and leave the rest. And also, uh, Megan, as I prepared for this interview, I realized that I haven't really been asked to share my faith journey on any podcasts. And so this is kind of a vulnerable space for vulnerable space for me as well, because this is just not part of the journey that I'm usually asked to share. Um, well, I feel privileged and- <laughs> that you are willing to come on and talk about it. Oh, Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I was really glad for the opportunity as well. So I appreciate that. I do consider it a journey and not a crisis. I never felt that my faith was in crisis. And I know some people do use faith journey and faith crisis kind of in a synonymous way, because for them, it might've been a a crisis. It's always a journey one way or the other. But for me, it it doesn't feel like a crisis. I feel like even as I just prepared and thought about some things in preparation for today, I feel like it's more of a faith expansion than anything for me. So the things that I'm going to share are, are parts of my faith that really expanded because of this intersection of faith and parenting LGBTQ kids. So two things that I kind of want to touch on, um, I mentioned that North Star was a pivotal moment for me, and it really was. I, I think for 30 years, I'd been going to church and I was kind of in this blissful, I had this blissful idea that all is well in Zion <laughs> as I would go to church each Sunday. And then here I went to this conference and there was this huge group of people that wanted to be with us and wanted to be included and loved. And yet I was hearing that they didn't feel that way. And so I realized like, okay, not all is not well in Zion. And so this made me just really think that, you know, okay, so now my family is going to be entering this space and are they not going to be well? Like what is going to happen? And then my mind just Kept, my mind just went with that. And I just had so much fear that filled me. Um, you know, I just, I feared what it was going to mean for my family, how we were going to be judged, how Landon was going to be looked at now because we were in our state for his entire life. And he was probably one of the most well-respected youth. So many people loved and respected him. And I, I didn't want that to change. And I thought this is, this is something that could change that. And I feared that he wouldn't um, be able to manage this in church, even though that was his desire. 
I felt that this is, that's just a really hard thing. And so I was fearful of him stepping away. I feared for his salvation because I, at that point, I didn't understand like, what was this that he was experiencing? And mm-hmm. um, I feared for our eternal family. I feared for his personal, like physical safety. There were just so many levels of fear that were entering in. And um, I was just became a bundle of anxiety. And again, that's not my nature either. I'm a very calm, even healed person. And so I would wake up at nights just filled with this anxiety and this, I guess the anxiety came because I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't change it. I had no resources. I had nothing. I had nothing. And so it just was a scary place for me. And then, and then I talked about the anger and that set in and I, so my anger, I talked about how my anger later with this new information was different than my early on anger. And my early on anger was that I was angry at God. Um, and I was angry that he would let this happen to such an amazing kid, somebody who had really dedicated his entire like childhood to being obedient and doing things the way that he was supposed to do. And he was so valiant. And I was just angry that, the, that he had sent this really what I felt like was an impossible trial to this wonderful kid. And I just thought, this is, this is no joke. You know, this is something that can derail like the best of the best. And I just, I didn't want that to be landed and not, I didn't want it to be anybody, but at the time I was so like, I didn't, I wasn't in this world yet. I just kind of sharing these thoughts that were very initial. And I think the fear and the anger were probably the things that kept me from moving forward. I literally felt damned. And I don't, when I say damned, I don't mean damned to hell. I mean, damned, like I could not progress because of this fear and this anger. And I had to find a way to kind of maneuver through that. And so I'm going to talk about anger for just another minute. I I don't consider anger to be a Christ-like attribute, but I do believe that it's a God-given emotion that we use to kind of help us process our stuff. (laughs) And I had a lot of stuff. And so I think our natural inclination when we are angry at somebody is to turn away from them. But I do want your listeners to know that I feel like we don't need to turn away from God in our anger. And that that would be naturally what we would want to do. But I promise that from what I've learned that he can handle, he can handle our anger. Um, Inside, I was just furious. My prayers were not nice. Um, They sounded something like, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to such a valiant child of yours? Why him? Why this trial? He's done nothing but serve you. It just felt so infuriatingly unfair. I loved that term of infuriatingly unfair because that just resonated with me. But I got an answer one day when I was having one of my rants with God. And that answer was, why not him? Why not Landon? And suddenly my way of thinking was shifted and my prayers changed. Uh, they changed to what am I to learn from this? There must be a purpose. Heavenly Father, show me the purpose. Teach me what I need to learn. And those questions were much more productive. And I could progress with those kinds of questions. But fear was a little trickier. It hung on quite a bit longer. And um, I just don't think fear is a place that our Heavenly Father wants us to dwell. When we're in a state of fear, we I don't feel like we can feel the Savior's love the way we should. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit of a dark place. And for me, very hard to progress in that dark place. I love the story of bro- the brother of Jared. I think he speaks to this. So as a reminder, the brother of Jared was commanded to build barges and the Jaredites obediently went to work and they, they um, 
They did it just as the Lord told them to do. But as they neared the completion of the barges, the brother of Jared had some concerns and some questions, right? <laughs> he, took, he took those questions to the Lord. He said, and I quote, Lord, I've performed the work which thou hast commanded me, and I have made the barges according as thou hast directed me. And behold, O, o Lord, in them there is no light. Whither shall I steer? And also we shall perish, for in them we cannot breathe, save it is the air which is in them. Therefore, we shall perish. And when I, I had reread that story once, I was a Relief Society teacher when um, I was kind of going through this, and this was part of one of the lessons I had to give. And so I reread this story, but I read them with a different lens now because I was in a different place. And I thought, wow, like that sounds a lot like my prayers. Uh, and maybe some of your listeners uh, can relate to this. Um, you know, this is, <laughs> this is kind of how my prayers sounded. Uh, Lord, I've done everything I, you told me to do but now I can't make it. It's too dark. How am I going to see? And Lord, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. Do you really want me to cross this ocean only to die? And there was fear in the brother of Jared's prayer. And I'd never noticed that before mm. until I That's had a similar prayer. And so just um, to give a little background of this story, for those that aren't familiar with it, the brother of Jared and their families were commanded to cross this great water, which we know to be the ocean. And they had these what uh, Monica mentioned were barges. Think of a clamshell, like a top and a bottom, and they were to ride in or sit inside of them and with a single hole in the top for breathing and <laughs> other things. And um, so the Lord turned the um, the task over, back over to the brother of Jared and and his family to figure out how to provide light on the inside to be able to cross this great ocean. So I love the symbolism you're talking about there, how it feel it can feel like that for us in our own lives, that we yeah. feel like we're being requested to cross this great expanse in the dark. And how yeah. am I, how am I going to do that? Like you said, without dying. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Monica Phillips. Subscribe and follow to be notified first when part two publishes in episode 54, where Monica shares how she came to learn to symbolically navigate across this great deep. Also, don't forget to enter my podcast giveaway by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshotting it, and uploading it to my Google Doc. The link to enter and to the Google Doc is in the show notes or in the bio of my Instagram profile. Come join me in Hopeful Spaces, a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, which is sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. Hopeful Spaces is a monthly parent, caregiver, and ally support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. To join is free. Simply send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com where you can find this podcast, as well as additional free resources. Check the podcast show notes on any platform for links to sources cited. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more and to send me a DM. To help the podcast grow, please follow, rate, and review, as well as share it with a friend. 
Beyond the Shadow of Doubt is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is a part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast network. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Thanks for being here. Until next time. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Monica Phillips. Don't forget to subscribe and follow to be notified first when part two publishes in episode 54, where Monica shares how she came to learn to symbolically navigate across this great deep. Also, don't forget to enter my podcast giveaway by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshotting it, and okay. Also, don't forget to enter my podcast giveaway by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshotting it, and uploading it to my Google Doc. The link to enter and to the Google Doc is in the show notes or in the link of my Instagram or in the bio of my Instagram profile.